Let's take our Bibles, and we're going to turn to the book of Matthew again. Matthew chapter 7, and that was where we left off this morning. This morning I mentioned, I'm kind of trying to get through this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've got just a couple more messages left in it. But uh, next Sunday evening, we'll be starting our series on the family, the Christian home. And uh, so I want to make sure that we get this wrapped up ahead of time, okay? And so this morning, we kind of looked at a challenge to pray and trust the Lord and even uh, how we ought to treat others and all of that dependent upon our understanding of God and who He is and understanding His heart as our Heavenly Father. And tonight... Uh, this message is one, I'll, I'll admit from the outset, that is a little bit more sober. And, uh, and, and it, it really kind of, uh, it's, it's a, uh, a sobering message uh, as he wraps up this, uh, this lesson in discipleship. And I think there are some things that we need to, to gain from this and to gather from this. So if you're in Matthew 7, uh, would you stand with me as we begin reading? In verse number 13, Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says here, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them... I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, tonight, as we look into this very serious passage of Scripture, I pray that you would just uh, give us uh, clarity and understanding of your word. Uh, help us even to look within and consider ourselves tonight as we consider these truths. But Lord, give us discernment as your people. This passage really is all about discerning uh, truth from error. And would you help us, Lord, to do that tonight, to rightly divide your word as you've commanded us to do. And Lord, speak to us. If there be someone here, maybe they've been in church their whole life, but they've never been saved. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that you would give them uh, that understanding that they'd turn to Christ and be saved. And Lord, if, if, if there are some here that may even be struggling or doubting uh, their salvation, I pray that you would uh, give them assurance and comfort if they are truly your child. Give them that confidence in you. And Lord, would you give all of us discernment to know truth from error. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In this passage of Scripture, we really read... 
kind of three distinct sections. In fact, I've preached through this before and preached out of this passage three different messages. But the more that I look at uh, Matthew 7, all, all of these verses that we just read really fit together. And, and the concept, really, that I believe Jesus is trying to drive home here is that, that, that things are not always as they seem. That there are those who profess to know Christ, and yet they themselves are lost. There are those who claim to be prophets, and yet they are actually false prophets that are sent for the destruction of God's people. And so you really have two distinct classes of people that Jesus is warning against here. One is those that we would call false professors. Those that they believe themselves to be genuinely saved, but they are not. And the truth is, I believe I can prove from Scripture that our churches are full of people like this who believe themselves to be born again, but they're lost. Secondly, though, there is another group that Jesus is warning about. Not false professors, but false prophets. Those who would come teaching error. And, and those who, are, who would come to try and tear down. And this passage is designed in such a way that we are uh, admonished really to, to kind of sober up and pay attention, and understand that things are not always as they seem. Did you know that there are people, there are multitudes of people, and yes, even people that fill churches just like this one, that believe themselves to be saved when they are lost. Do you know that's true? And there are people that claim to be teachers of truth, teachers of righteousness, but the message that they are spreading is a Christianized version of worldly philosophy and sometimes even satanic philosophy. And sometimes if we aren't paying attention, we could be deceived by either one of these groups. We could be deceived into believing that everything is okay in our own hearts when that may not be so. Or we could be deceived into following after others who claim to be teaching and preaching truth when they, in fact, are preaching error. Now, I want to say at the outset of this message, because we are going to examine tonight the idea of those who are false professors. And I want to say from the beginning that my intention is never to cause a child of God to doubt his salvation. I would never want to do that because God's will for all of his people is that we would have assurance and confidence in our salvation. He doesn't want us to be confused about that. We read in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God wants you to know. And I understand that there are probably people that are sitting here tonight that you have been struggling with the assurance of salvation in your life. And I just want you to know that God wants you to know. Let me say this also. If you are one who wrestles with knowing, am I truly a child of God? Here's what you need to know. God is a God of truth and light. 
God reveals truth to us and the Spirit of God convicts us. The, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16 that when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide us into all truth. And so God is in the business of shedding light on things and revealing truth. However, our enemy, Satan, is just the opposite. You see, God is not the author of confusion. He is the author of peace. Satan, on the other hand, is the author of confusion. And many times when I talk to someone who is struggling with how do I really know that I'm saved, and they lay awake at night and they say, I, I, I just don't know, I'm just really wrestling with this. What if I am? What if I'm not? How do I know? I want you to know that doesn't sound to me like the Spirit of God revealing truth. That sounds an awful lot like an enemy bringing confusion. In other words, we could put it this way. To a lost person, God and the Holy Spirit of God will work in his life to show him his sin and his lost condition. Now, could there become confusion in the fact that God is revealing to me that I have a need, but I am resistant to that? And I'm conflicted between the, what the Holy Spirit's telling me and what I'm trying to convince myself in my own mind. Yes, that could bring confusion, but I want you to know, if you are lost and you want to know, Lord, I, I want to know the truth. Am I your child or not? He will show you. He will make that clear because God is a God of truth and light. Satan, however, loves to twist people up in knots and to cause confusion, and to bring fear. Remember, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Perfect love casts out fear. And God, in His perfect love, has revealed the gospel to us so that we can be saved. His desire for us is not to struggle our whole life with the assurance of our salvation. That is not God's intention. God wants you to know. And tonight, my prayer for everyone here is that if you are saved, if you are a child of God, that you will leave here tonight with assurance and confidence in that salvation. And if you're here tonight and you are lost, that you will know your need. That you will not wrestle any longer trying to convince yourself that everything is okay when you know deep down it's not. I believe God will show you if your heart is to truly know the truth. I want you to notice what Jesus describes here in regard to those who are lost but believe themselves to be saved. Look at verse number 21, if you will. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So not everyone who identifies as a Christian who would call Jesus Lord, not everyone who does that is truly saved. You realize that Christianity, in a very general sense, is one of the largest religions in the world. And yet the fact is that Jesus himself said, if you look at verse number 14, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So Jesus said there are not many people that are going to heaven. He said there are few. However, there are many people that claim to be Christians that would even call Jesus Lord. 
The majority of our nation, if you were to ask them, uh, are you a Christian or not? Most people would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, maybe they'd say, I'm not a real uh, devout uh, or practice. I'm not real religious, but I'm a Christian. But that's a very general term. Not everyone that claims to be a Christian truly is. And notice, he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You say, well, what is the will of the Father? Jesus said, this is the will of the Father, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And not everyone who would even call Jesus Lord has ever truly believed on him for their salvation. Notice what they plead to the Lord here in verse 22. It says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? Uh, Lord, if you look back at our life, if you look at my life, look at all the great things that I did for you. Notice, these aren't nominal Christians. These are people who are busy about the service of the Lord, supposedly. And he says, we've prophesied in your name. They've preached the word of God. We, we've cast out devils. They've actually had the, the power of God on their life. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. God, just look at my life and look at all the things that I have done. Do you notice a common thread in all of these statements? God, look at what I have done. Look at my resume. Look at my reputation. I've been a good person. I lived a good life. I, I, I did the best that I could trying to please God. But your works, friend, will never make you right with God. No, no matter how good they might be. No matter how successful you may be. Notice what Jesus says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm not looking at your works. I'm not looking at the things you've done. I'm really asking one question. Do I know them? Hold your place here if you would, but go with me to the book of John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And Jesus here is speaking of those who are truly his people. And in John 10, he said in verse 26, or verse 27 rather, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So right there you have the answer really to this question. How, what is the difference between a false professor and a true born-again believer? And the, the answer is that those who are truly God's sheep are known by Him. 
And they have eternal life. It is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If we go back to Matthew 7, I want you to notice he speaks of an entrance. Verse 13, Matthew 7, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus said there is one gate, and there is one way, and it is straight. There is one way to God, and it's an entrance. And what is that entrance? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, how do I know if I am truly saved? Have you entered through Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord? Has there been a time in your life where you, I'm not saying where someone led you through a few verses and asked you to bow your head. I'm saying has there been a time in your life where you understood the gospel. You understood that you were a sinner separated from God and that you could not save yourself. And that Jesus was your only hope. And in that moment, at that time, in realizing and understanding your sin and your condition before the Lord, in repentance you turned from your sin and from yourself to Jesus and placed your faith in Him alone. That is the entrance to life. Believing and receiving Jesus. Now people sometimes get hung up on this concept of repentance. What is repentance about? The word repent literally means to change your mind, to, to, uh, to, to, to mentally change. It's an act of the will to say, uh, this is the direction that I am going, and now I want to go this way. And some people get hung up on this thinking, well, if, if I'm going to get saved, that means that I've got to change my life. Or, or it means that, you know, if, if, if I continue to struggle with sin, that I didn't repent enough. Friend, I just want to tell you, that's not at all what repentance is. Repentance is a, it's a change of attitude. We could maybe say that it's a, it's a sorrow over our sin. The Bible tells us, for instance, that, that godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. It, it is, it's this, this understanding that my sin has offended a holy God and it's separated me from Him and I don't want my sin anymore. I want Christ. It's kind of this idea, and I, I, I've used this illustration with people before. It's a, it's a letting go, it's a releasing of our hands. If, if you were climbing the side of a mountain, and you got stuck, you couldn't go up and you couldn't go back down, and you were stuck. And the only way to get off of the side of that mountain was a rescue helicopter came flew in down next to you and a guy in a harness from a, a, a cable uh, rappelled down toward you and he hooked on to, to you with his, uh, with his harness and he, he, he put you in and he said, okay, let's, let's go. I'm going to take you off of this cliff, off of this rock to safety. In order to be rescued, what do you have to do? You have to let go, don't you? As long as you continue to cling to that rock, as long as you continue to hold on to it, uh, you're going to stay there on the side of that cliff. 
And the truth is, friend, that sometimes uh, when it comes to our salvation, we have to be willing to understand this rock is going nowhere. Uh, this, this road that I'm on is leading to destruction. And the only thing I can do is turn to Jesus because He is my only hope. We turn to Him. It's, a, it's an act of the will. It's a change of our heart that says, God, I need You. And we place our faith in Him just as that rock climber would have to place his faith in the, in, in the rescuer. Uh, he's taking his hands off and he's no longer trying to control the situation. He's allowing someone else to come in and rescue him in the same way. We must take our hands off and say, God, I know I cannot save myself, but I trust that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for me and I'm letting go of myself, I'm letting go of my sin, I'm letting go of my religion, I'm letting go of my good works, and I'm going to trust Jesus and Him alone. You know what the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse number 12? But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on His name. That moment that you turn to Christ and you place your faith in Him, you have entered in at the straight gate. You are born again. You are now one of Jesus' sheep. And he said, I know them, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Well, pastor, I know, but some days I just don't feel saved. Join the club. Join the club. You think I feel saved every day? I don't. I mean, I'm thankful. There are days that I do. There are days that I, I mean, it's like walking on air. Boy, I know, uh, you know, things are just right between me and God. It's the greatest thing. But boy, there are days that I look at myself and I go, man, could God really save me? Even with all my sin, even with all my struggles, even, even with the fact that all these years have, have passed and I continue uh, to deal with this or continue to deal with that, and, 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 and boy, I just don't, I'm not feeling it anymore. I'm thankful that my salvation is not founded on my feelings, it's founded on the truth of the Word of God. And I can go back to thus saith the Lord. It doesn't matter what I feel or even what I might think. All that matters is God said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I've called upon Him and trusted Him, and He is my Savior. And I know that. I've entered in at the straight gate. And you know what happens when you enter in at the straight gate? That's your entrance. And then, following the entrance, there's evidence. Now, let me say this. The evidence does not save you. The evidence simply proves what is already true about you. Speaking of these false prophets, he says to them, ye shall know them by their fruits. Isn't it interesting that as we try to discern sometimes truth from error, Things can be kind of cloudy. But if we just take a step back and we consider the fruit that is produced, it comes into clearer view, doesn't it? Let me give you an example of this. Sometimes in my house, I'm trying to identify what a particular type of tree is. Now, I am not. Some, some of you can look at a tree and tell me exactly what it is. I envy you. I have no idea. I can look at it and say, oh, it looks like a wood one to me, you know. 
especially this time of year. And I can look at the bark, and I can look at the bark of the tree and think, okay, I know what that is. That bark is very familiar. And then I'll pull it up on my phone, and I'll say, okay, oak, ash, maple. Yep, all those barks kind of look alike. Anyone else like this? Maybe it's just me. I've got a mental block when it comes to identifying certain trees. I will tell you this, though. When the leaves come out, it becomes a little bit easier to tell the difference, doesn't it? And if it happens to be a fruit tree, then once the fruit grows, I can really tell. I could take you to an orchard in late summer or early fall and tell you every kind of tree in that place. And it wouldn't be by looking at the bark or the leaves. It'd be by looking at the fruit. I, I'm, I walk up to a cherry tree and I'd say, do you know this is a cherry tree? And you'd go, uh, yeah, there's cherries hanging off of it. Well, that's how I knew, <laughs> right? If those weren't there, I might have guessed it as an apple tree. But it's a cherry tree because there's cherries there. And what's he saying? A corrupt tree doesn't bring forth good fruit. And a good tree doesn't bring forth evil fruit. Does this mean that someone who's saved never sins? No, it doesn't. But I will tell you this, that someone who's saved is going to be able to see a difference. They're going to see that things aren't what they used to be. There's been a change of heart. There's been a change of desire. The Lord is working in your life. Go with me, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter uh, 12. Let me tell you, this is, a, this is a passage of Scripture that the Lord used in my life. Those of you who know my testimony know that there was a time in my life that I was away from the Lord in heart, while outwardly doing many of the things that I knew I should be doing, inwardly things weren't right. And I began to even question the validity of the Bible. I began to question certainly where I stood before God. But then I read one day in verse 5 of Hebrews 12, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all our partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. 
And I was reading that about the chastening hand of the Lord and how He deals with us as His sons, as His children. And you know what I realized in that moment? All of the struggle that I was dealing with was the chastening hand of God. He was humbling me. He was breaking me down. He was trying to purge out some pride and some sin in my life and show me my need for Him. And the Lord was chastening me. I remember in that moment sitting there and watching... It was like looking back over my life and the years of my life that I had been away from God and seeing, oh yeah, there was an obstacle here and God dealt with this situation here and God was chastening me here and I didn't get away with this sin here. God dealt with that. What is that? That's evidence that my heavenly Father is working in my life because I am His Son. I am His child and I am in Him. It is a fruit. It's an evidence of true salvation in our lives. And so as we consider this tonight, and the fact that many, many people believe themselves to be saved when they're not, what, what, is the, uh, what is that which distinguishes those who are lost from those who are saved? Two things, their entrance and their evidence. Have you been saved? Can you point to a time in your life where you accepted Christ as your Savior? And is there fruit that would show to you that God has made a change in you. And then just very briefly, I want to mention this issue uh, found in verse number 15. He says, beware of false prophets. Folks, can I say to you that things are not always as they seem, even in others? Sometimes... People will try to convince you that they are of God when they are not. There are many worldly philosophies that are contradictory to Scripture. They're contradictory to the Word of God that are being taught as though it is Christian doctrine. Things that are being preached from the pulpits. Things that are being uh, put out there in Christian literature and sold in Christian bookstores. And Jesus said, beware of these things. Second Timothy tells us that in the last times, perilous times shall come. Folks, we are living in perilous times where there are many false prophets and false teachers. And Jesus says, beware. Don't be deceived. Paul spoke of them in Acts chapter 20 of those uh, that, that, the, the, the wolves that would come in not sparing the flock. And Jesus here is calling us to discernment, to look at the evidence of these people and I would say compare it against the Word of God. Are these things so? Beware. Things do not always, uh, things don't, are not always the same as they appear. Beware of false prophets and beware false professors. Do you know that you are a child of God tonight? Do you know that you are saved? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? That you are on your way to heaven? That when you stand before the Lord, you will not say to Him, Lord, Lord, have I not? You'll say to Him, Lord, Lord, you died for me. It's not what I did, it's what Jesus did. And if you are saved tonight, can I ask you, are you 
discerning truth from error in regard to false teaching? Are you examining the fruit of what is being taught to you and, and deciding whether or not, according to the Word of God, this is a good tree or an evil tree? The Lord calls us to discern between false prophets and false professors. And tonight I just want to admonish every one of us to take a deep look within. Say, Lord, am I truly a child of God? And secondly, am I being aware of those that would seek to tear me down and to, just, and, and, and to deter me from the truth that you have for me?